Hello and welcome to the Landmark Theatre's Q&A podcast. In this episode, we'll hear a Q&A with writer-director Ben Zeitlin about his new film, Wendy, the seven years in the making follow-up to his acclaimed 2012 debut, Beasts of the Southern Wild. This conversation was moderated by Gregory Elwood from The Playlist and recorded during the film's opening weekend at the Landmark in Los Angeles. Hey there, I'm Gregory L with The Playlist, and is that just not the most beautiful movie? It's just so gorgeous. Uh, please welcome the director of Wendy, Mr. Ben Zeitlin. So the easiest question first is, um, where did the idea come from, from tackling the Peter Pan myth? Um, apologies for my voice, first of all been talking a lot. Um, uh, it, it's sort of been with me my entire life, honestly. I think that me and my sister, who I wrote the film with, um, had been playing with Peter Pan since we were small children. Um, he was like an invisible character in our lives always and sort of like um, our sort of evolving relationship with growing up from being terrified of it to being, you know, uh, to just going through it, being excited about it, like this sort of idea of um, kind of telling an adventure story where the stakes uh, were around whether or not you would grow up um, is something that we've always related to very much as uh, you know, kind of people trying to kind of live by a code, you know, sort of stay, um, you know, stay true to sort of making art in this very sort of liberated free way, um, which is often considered impractical and immature. Um, I think that this idea of whether or not we would grow up has always felt like it was at stake in our lives. And so I think that um, the story's always felt, felt very close to us in that way. And you were thinking about making this movie even before you made Beast of the Southern Wild, is that correct? Yeah, it was on the list, yeah. It was always like, um, this was always a movie that we thought we would never get a chance to make because it was so impractical and crazy and no one would ever allow us to do it. And so sort of right in the aftermath of Beast, when we sort of saw we were gonna have kind of a chance to like <laughs> pitch anything and, and maybe have it, someone say yes to it, it was like, we've gotta do this one because you know we may never get this chance again. Uh, they'll probably kick us out of uh, the building once we, once we do this. So like, let's, let's, do the, <laughs> let's do the one that we've always dreamed of and do it as big as we can do it and uh, go for it. Okay, so did you always think that the island would be somewhere in the Caribbean? Was that always someplace where Neverland would be? When did that inspiration come from? No, I mean, once we decided to do it, you know, I think me and my sister realized that we, we had these radically different imaginations of what the film actually was. Um, the thing that we really shared is that we wanted to um, sort of strip away the fairy magic and the sort of things that made the story feel very distant and very like, you know, you escape to another world and there are things that are impossible happening. We wanted to like sort of bring in, uh, take the magic and, and bring it into kind of the magic of nature and the magic of the planet and things that are tangibly magical uh, that you can actually touch and feel and see and, and make a film that we could shoot for real and not create inside of a computer, you know, not um, sort of um, build. Um, and so there was this idea of what would be the fountain of youth in the film? What is the force that kind of like on earth that feels the most like uh, childlike? And, and I think that we both sort of agree that once we sort of decided that a volcano was sort of a perfect symbol for like where things are volatile and youthful and wild, um, you know, we began sort of searching for a place that had a volcano to shoot from, which is uh, turned out to be the island of Montserrat, where the film was mostly shot and very much inspired by. So 
we have to talk about this because the locations you shot for this movie were almost inaccessible, like for anything. Like I, I, I think we had we did an interview uh, a couple weeks ago, and you're telling me that um, sometimes to get people to go to the bath, they had to go to the bathroom. It was like a whole endeavor just to get them out of the set. Can you yeah, talk about? A, can you talk about some of the the what what you guys all endured and what sort of adventures you sort of had on that island? Yeah, I mean, it was so varied, but it was like, you know, every day of the shoot felt like we were launching like a military campaign, <laughs> but like, it was like the staging, you know, like invading Normandy every single day, but like your army is all, you know, six to nine year olds and uh, 60 plus, you know, <laughs> and then like a hundred person crew. And, you know, so it was, it was each location was a massive logistical challenge of like, how are we even going to get there to scout? And then how are we possibly going to get a film crew there? And, you know, f filming on the volcano involved working with, you know, the volcanic scientists who would sort of, you know, uh, evaluate the safety of what we were doing. We had to build roads for evacuation routes. We had to build staircases down like massive cliff faces and zip line lunch into valleys. And, you know, each day was this, you know, massive um, undertaking of just how to even get to set. It would often take us two, three hours just to get to a location before we would even have a chance to begin uh, shooting that location. And you shot on film too. Like, so this wasn't, it wasn't easy in, in, in many aspects. But, uh, but I, I have to ask, you know, uh, the movie would not work unless um, you got the proper Wendy. And um, her name is Devin France. And uh, she's fantastic. Can you talk about how you found her? Yeah, you know, we, um, we, we cast this film. We, you know, we have this sort of grassroots casting method that we sort of developed, um, you know, starting with my short films and in Peace of the Southern Wild. And we do it a lot in South Louisiana, um, south of New Orleans, where I live. Um, and Devin actually comes from like 20 minutes away from where we found Quivenge A. Wallace. And very similarly, we just go into schools and try to um, speak to kids um, you know, we're trying to find people who have never really considered acting before. You know, there's so many, there's so much talent out there uh, that just doesn't reach kind of like the access point of get, getting encouraged to develop it. And so, you know, especially in South Louisiana where you have, you know, it's just an amazing culture and, and, um, and uh, you know, we just try to get in front of kids uh, specifically, even if we're like knocking on doors or whatever it is so that, you know, it's not just like put a flyer in the paper and, and all the kids whose parents want them to be actors come out and find it. You try to get in contact with kids in schools whose parents maybe wouldn't necessarily take them to something like that and, and get those kids to come out for auditions. And, you know, then we just do that as long as it takes, you know, and look at thousands and thousands of kids and, um, and also sort of invest a ton of time in developing those kids into, into actors. So. Um, I, I do want to ask how you found uh, Peter, who's played by uh, Yashua Mack. Uh, because he is not from uh, Southern Louisiana. How did you how did you find him? Um, yeah, he's from, um, so we shot on three islands that are kind of neighboring islands in the Caribbean, Montserrat, and the place you, you fly into Antigua to get to Montserrat, basically, um, and Yashua's from Antigua. And he um, grew up in a Rasta camp there um, in a very unique world. Um, and, uh, you know, basically, we, we, we sort of had, we got this idea that, Peter was going to be from Neverland, you know, as opposed to sort of in the original text, he comes also from the outside. But, you know, um, spending all this time in the islands um, and sort of, you know, when I was scouting these locations, it, it was so apparent, you know, 
it was amazing to watch um, the guys who were taking me out there and just how fluent they were navigating their world, you know, and it felt like if we were gonna convince, if we were gonna create a convincing Peter Pan who had lived in this island for hundreds of years, it was gonna have to be someone who, whose playground was that environment. And we actually really struggled to find kids who, I mean, this was across the board, Louisiana or in the Caribbean, like, it was shocking to me how few kids still played outside, period, or even like imagine, or whose imagination sort of like routed through nature, through animals, and, and um, we were really on the verge of giving up, and um, we sort of got a tip from a friend who had shot some music videos. Um, a lot of reggae artists go to the camp to like shoot um, in, the, in, the, in the Rasta camp, and um, he, he basically made an introduction to us, um, and we sort of, over the course of many, many months, got close with the whole, um, with the various families that are part of the community, and auditioned the kids, and you know, found Yashua through them. Well, he's incredible, and they're all, for first-time actors, incredible. We want to take some audi uh, audience questions. Uh, you, sir, right there. Yes. Um, was there any character that was uh, based off of Tinkerbell in the film? In case you didn't hear, the question was, was there any character that was based off Tinkerbell? I think that the, um, you know, the, the mother sort of became like an embodiment of both Tinkerbell and the mermaids um, in the film, and, and then also, like, you know, we, we wanted to get rid of this idea of sort of fairy dust and like this idea of fairies and sort of put it in something natural. And so that kind of began with the volcano. And then we started thinking about like, uh, you know, the volcano having like a like an organism that, that was like almost like its heart. Um, and so, you know, a lot of those ideas around fairies and around, um, you know, um, what is the magic that keeps you young sort of got folded into the mother character and certainly the the ending scene where they're singing her back to life is very much inspired by um, when they clap the fairies back to life in the original text. Uh, other questions? Uh, you, ma'am, right there. You've probably been asked this a million times, but I'm going to ask it again. <laughs> this and Beasts of the Southern Wild are the most astounding movies I have ever, ever seen. And I wondered, have you always seen like this? or? Did, I mean, did you grow up as a child? Did you look at the world this way, or um, how did you develop it, and can you teach it? <laughs> um, I'd say no. I think, you know, my films were very different growing up. Like, you know, the first film I made was uh, I played Superman in a Batman movie. And it's just like, then in high school, we made like a long series of films that were like Santa Claus as like a serial killer, you know, I made a lot of really bad movies in my life, so it certainly hasn't been forever. You know, I think that, um, I gotta say that, and I, was, and I was an animator for a long time, you know, and that's where kind of where I started, but a lot of this came from moving to New Orleans for me. Um, it had a really powerful impact on me. Um, and you know, I'd always sort of been interested in stories that are larger than life and fantasy and, um, when I went down there, I got really interested in less like people um, and, and, and kind of reality and sort of the ways that reality can be, you know, as spectacular and magical as just sci-fi or fantasy. And so I think a lot of the style of Beast and the style of Wendy and, and the short film that I made before had to do with kind of like taking my interest in like myth and, you know, larger than life stories and trying to figure out where these myths like live in our lives and live in real people and you know the way that we cast and location scout we kind of start by writing um kind of like the 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 skeleton 
of a myth and then are very willing to change it and sort of adapt it to real people that, that sp whose spirit kind of speak to these characters in real places that, that spirit speaks to, um, you know, the ideas in the film. And so a lot, a lot of, if there's anything that's like a, a lesson in it, it has a lot to do with kind of that thought process of like where does magic live in our real world, in, our, in, our, in the people around us and in the places um, that we can actually go and see. Um, you, sir, uh, right there, yeah. Where did the inspiration for the song that sang throughout come from? Um, <laughs> it's a little story, actually. Um, so, so the, I mean, the, the starting point was, was this idea of lullaby um, and of having a song that uh, would, would sort of connect. Whenever you heard it, it would connect you back to this moment of Wendy, of, of the first moments of the film where Wendy is in her mother's arms and, and is being hummed this song by her mother and sort of thinking about the way that uh, songs uh, that we hear from our parents can kind of viscerally bring us back to being, you know, th at this point of youth that we that escapes us at some point, um, and that idea came from um, this moment that I had where I, you know my parents are like my parents are folklorists and they're country music fanatics and I like rejected country music my whole life, but I was like I hate it, you know. I was like in a grunge band and I was like, I want to rock, you know. Um, and then uh, sometime when I was like 19, 20 years old, I heard the Tennessee Waltz and I had this like visceral reaction to it that I didn't know where it came from. And I just like flooded my body and I was like crying and I became obsessed with Tank Williams and I called my mom and I was like, mom, you're not gonna believe this. I think I just turned a corner on country music. I heard uh, the Tennessee Waltz and, and it just like blew me away. And she was like, you know, that was the first song you ever heard in your life, you know, your father, took you out of their tray in the, the hospital while I was recovering and he would dance you down the halls to the Tennessee Waltz over and over again. And, and so that idea of, of these, these songs you hear from your parents as infants <clears throat> kind of was the basis for what that song would be, just something that's very, very simple, feels very timeless. Um, and so that's kind of where the score started. And then the first thing we wrote, we wrote that song probably back in like 2014. Um, and then that kind of became like one of the pillars that the whole film was built around. Um, more questions? Uh, you, ma'am, right there. <coughs> First of all, thank you for your movies very much. I'm curious about the uh, process of preparing the children since they were not actors. Do you rehearse or do you give them like, space to be children? And so the question, in case you didn't hear it, was uh, about the, the how you prepare um, non-traditional actors to um, act and do you give them space or do you rehearse or how do you sort of do it? Um, it's a combination of the two. Um, you know, we, we, we had like an incredible privilege in this movie to invest an enormous amount of time in developing the cast. Um, and we would, um, <clears throat> we would do sort of two things, you know, um, we would rehearse the scenes and uh, oftentimes you start, well, I would start rehearsals as improvisations. So not on a script or anything like that. I would give them the ideas of the scenes and see how they would interpret it themselves. Um, and then a lot of times also, Especially like at um, you know a lot we we took a lot of time to sort of get them to bond together as a group and so we would bring the kids out actually to Antigua and sort of set them off with um, Yashua and his like fifteen uh, his like pack of fifteen kids and let them just run wild in the forest and I would sort of chase behind them with a notepad like furiously writing down everything that was happening so like we let them both play um, and rehearse and all of that information kind of went into rewriting the script and and the idea you know, is really to um, 
is to adapt each character to the kid and sort of who they are. You know, oftentimes I feel like I'm learning as much from them about the characters they are from me. Um, and um, you know, you try to get it to the end where they really feel empowered and like they own these people. And you know, some of them, I mean, like the kid who plays—I don't know if you—the kid who plays Sweet Heavy, like, was like method. You had to call him Sweet Heavy by the end of this. Like he, he totally claimed the name. To this day, he's like, yeah, I am, I am Sweet Heavy. You know, so that's the goal is that they really. You know, and not all the kids are like their characters. You know, they definitely, it's not like we shot in sequence. It's like they really had to perform and know where they were in their arc and their story at all times. Um, but, you know, it was a huge amount of time invested in kind of figuring out how to do that and really giving them the chance to kind of own these parts and, and feel like uh, it, it belonged to them, you know. Uh, so one more question. Are you, sir? Um, in this film, we start off in a kitchen. And then we escape to the chaos of Never Never Neverland. And in East of the Southern Wild, we start off in the chaos of the hurricane and we go to the kitchen in the museum. So what's the significance uh, of kitchens in the so in case you didn't hear that, um, kitchens and uh, storms and hurricanes have a lot of themes in your films. Uh, how do they sort of tie together, or is it a coincidence? I don't know. I mean, I mean it. Like it is of a. I mean, I mean the other thing that you know, both of them, both of those moments in both films are about these kind of larger than life magical mothers, you know. And I think that like, um, it's another thing for me that just feels. Uh, like a lullaby, like viscerally connects me to the experience of being really young. Is just like, you know, you're you're with your mom when she's preparing food for you a lot of the time. You're watching her do it, and something about like the imagery of like the oven. This is actually that shot got cut, but the oven opening and like steam enveloping your mother as she like takes something she's baked out of a oven. For whatever reason, is like certain images just kind of come back to me and are associated with um, certain types of characters and. You know, I think we didn't want to, I think there's quite a lot of things between the two films that, where there's dots that connect and there's things that are referenced between them. And, and certainly the, um, that, that idea, well, it was, that was part of the idea that sort of Wendy is almost beginning in this place that Hush Puppy dreams of. And um, a lot, and there, was, and there was a real actually connection. The thing I didn't mention sort of in what inspired the film is a lot of what inspired the film was actually Quivenjene herself. Um, you know, going from her being in the film when she was five and six years old to when we finished promoting it and she was almost nine, which is the age that Wendy is in this film, there was, you know, as we started thinking about Peter Pan, I was like, man, you know, wouldn't it be so much better if like Wendy had always been like Quivenjene and not like she's been written for all these years, um, like strong and strange and, you know, and all those things. And so there was a lot about beasts that flowed into this film and, and became the starting point from where from where it, it jumped off. So I, you know, I think that that, I probably wouldn't have put it together like that when I wrote it, but you know, I think it definitely makes sense. Well, um, please thank uh, Ben for being here tonight. Thank you so much thank for coming, guys. and please spread the word about Wendy. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Landmark Theater's Q&A podcast. If you want to hear more conversations with filmmakers about the latest independent, foreign, and documentary films opening at Landmark Theatres, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app or visit our podcast website at landmarktheaters.podbean.com. You can also check out our YouTube channel for videos of Q&As and other exclusive content. See you next time.